0: Welcome back to Answering Religious Error for our Tuesday afternoon study as we uh, go through a series of lessons in our current series called Why I Believe, and that's every Tuesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. So no matter where you are, we thank you for tuning in, and uh, we hope that our time change has been um, uh, convenient uh, for many of you, and we appreciate those who listen on a regular basis, and uh, we just have a few online right now, and I just wanted to say before we begin Uh, Some of you folks that have stuck with us for so long, um, uh, we're wondering, what other kind of programs do you listen to? Uh, What maybe podcasts do you tune into? If you want to put those in the chat or comment on it, uh, we'd like to just kind of compile this for ourselves as uh, we're kind of curious what other brethren are doing online. But as I said, our current series, Why I Believe, began a few weeks ago and we're covering topics like why I believe the truth can be known, why we believe that faith is necessary, why we believe in God. Uh, we talked about uh, the Bible being God's word and Jesus as the son of God, as we'll talk about in just a few moments. And we've got a whole slew of lessons that we hope that you'll be listening to over the next few weeks. If you have questions or comments regarding this program or any general Bible question Please submit that as uh, the live Bible Q&A airs every Wednesday live at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You can be a part of that program. You can go on their Facebook page. You can go on the YouTube channel and make comments uh, as the show is happening and be a part of that program. But if you have a question now, go ahead and submit it to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Just send us an email. We'll add your question to the lineup. And get to it hopefully within the next uh, week or so, as we do have uh, several questions that we do uh, cover each week. So if we don't get to your question, just hang on, keep tuning in until it pops right back up. But again, tune in Wednesdays for the live Bible Q&A every Wednesday at 12 Eastern Standard Time. We also want to remind you that after these programs air, they will appear in a podcast form. So go to your favorite podcaster. Uh, tune into uh, Answering Religious Error. And you can also find that under the heading of The Daily Answer. The Daily Answer podcast comes to you every Monday through Friday, beginning as early as eight, uh, 5 a.m. Uh, with our own Mark Dunnigan. And so you can tune into that program. He's up to about 171 episodes now. And so if you're behind, you got a lot of catching up to do, but uh, spend about 15, 20 minutes of your day listening to Mark Dunnigan. And um, one of his one of my favorite phrases from his uh, uh, lesson today uh, based on good reasons why we believe in God is don't ridicule me for my faith uh, when you rely on luck, bucko. And so you're going to see Mark Dunnegan and uh, the way that he um, uh, brings us thoughts from God's word, uh, even on our program today, as he has prepared questions for us to discuss the answer why I believe Jesus is the son of God. Looking forward to that question. Looking forward to spending some time with these good brethren today. Again, Mark Dunnigan's with us who head up our study in just a few moments. And Mark Gibson, as always, thankful to have you here. And as a special guest, uh, filling in for really two individuals, we have some of our hard hitters out today. Uh, Terry Benton's over in Israel. You got uh, Steve Russell in, in Fiji and uh, doing a lot of work of the Lord and uh, seeing some many places where our Lord has walked. Jared Jacobs is with us from the Caneyville area in Kentucky. Thank you for being with us, Jared, as he pops in and gives us his wisdom from time to time. I always love to tell the story about Jared. He's a good writer. Uh, look him up on um, some of the Brethren's websites. You can go to, I, I guess, One Stone and places like that, uh, maybe Truth, uh, Amazon, I know. Mm-hmm. I ordered a book um, a few months back about uh, wine in the Bible, uh, the, the, the use of wine and, of course, alcohol as we commonly call it today. And using things like the Echo and Amazon system here uh, within my home, uh, uh, my Alexa, (laughs) well, there she goes answering, uh, (laughs) likes to inform me when I have a delivery come to my house. And so one day out of the blue,
1: (laughs) Alexa, Stop.
0: <laughs> One, you got to be careful with that word. Yeah. One day out of the blue, it just announces to me, wine is at the door. So <laughs> uh, I was a bit confused until I saw the book and it's an excellent study. So good to have you guys with us today. How are you doing? Great to be on the
2: program, Chris. Yeah. Every time I see Jared, Jared in his bolo tie, it reminds me of a, a good preacher out in Oregon, Bill Fain a uh, uh, guy from Texas and Bill always
0: wore a bolo tie. Yeah. I have yeah. uh I had some bolo ties back in the days when I lived in New Mexico and mm-hmm. it was very popular up in yeah. the Santa Fe area
3: especially. Yeah. And so that's where that's, that's where I got bit bit by the bug was okay. uh I was holding a meeting out in the Las Vegas uh New Mexico up north. Yeah. And uh anyways they started I don't know, different ones had bolos and this and that. And then I remember one day, I in fact, I bought one while I was out there. And the uh, family I was staying with, the wife comes up to me one day, and she says, you know, said my husband doesn't wear uh, bolos very much anymore. She said, you can just have them. <sighs> and so she handed me uh, some, and one in particular she handed to me. And, and as she does, you can see him going, ah, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to let go. <laughs> yeah, she she gave away the wrong one, and uh, oh, no. <laughs> so anyway, so I I've still got it and wear it and what have you. But after after I got started on that, and then like you said, New Mexico and then uh, Texas. This one here was one the brother gave me. Uh, I was just talking to him about admiring. I said, "Where did you get that?" And he said, "Here."
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I was like uh, that. Wasn't what I was asking for, but thank mm-hmm. you.
0: Nice. nice. You wear it nice. well,
3: nice. Jared. You wear it. Oh well. my, well appreciate it. So, yeah. All right. Well, looking something.
0: forward to our study today. Thank you for I've being on. I've got to, to, with to
3: dress this. up since I'm covering for two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big shoes sure. to fill. I got uh, to we know apart. you can
0: do it. Uh, Mark Gibson, <laughs> would you mind leading us in prayer, and then we'll get into our study?
1: Yes. Our beloved Father in heaven, we're so thankful for a beautiful day that all of us can enjoy of life we're thankful father for this program and the opportunity that we as as your creatures and your servants have to look at your word and to consider the matter of faith and especially concerning your son jesus we pray father that good will be done as as we discuss these things we pray for those that will be listening in that the word of god may find good place in their hearts we pray that our faith may be strengthened, that we may be able to help others around us know more about you and to be saved from sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Mark Dunnigan, forward to our study.
2: Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark, for that good prayer. Uh, Currently in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And for those uh, that have been kind of watching the travels, uh, heading out, I think, Thursday to Chimney Rock. North Carolina, and then one a couple nights in Raleigh, and then out to Kitty Hawk and up to the area of Virginia Beach, Williamsburg, Jamestown, visiting some churches up there, then up to north of Richmond, Annandale, where I was actually born some 64 years ago. So that would be an interesting return to kind of, and I think the house that I came home to is within a mile or so of a particular congregation which would be kind of a surreal moment. Still looking for a place, possibly the park in New Jersey or New York City, but I got a 24-foot van, and that is looking like that might be a little bit of a challenge. If that doesn't work out, we may head up north all the way to Elmira, New York, upstate New York, Finger Lakes region, hit up there, and then into Rhode Island where I have a meeting scheduled starting June 1st. So that's kind of what's going on with uh, the nomads as we travel. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter on Pentecost will say, men, in, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him in your midst that you yourselves know. And it's almost as if Paul said a very similar thing to a Gentile audience in Acts 17. And in verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to man that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And then at the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, I'm impressed that the sermon ends with verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That when the apostles preached, the the reality that Jesus is the Son of God was like not even a question. The the words of attested, furnished proof to all men. Words like no for certain. Like this is not a cross your fingers like, well, hope this is true. This is kind of a pretty good guess, but rather this is certain that Jesus is the Christ. And so, Chris, how about we throw up our first question to the to our group of fine men today. Did Jesus offer any proof that he's indeed the Son of God, or did he just say, hey, you got to take my word for it, cross your fingers, you know, did he give us, if I'm going to do that, did he give me anything to hang my head on, any good, like the book of Ecclesiastes, well-driven nails that I can hold my life on? In believing that he is the son of god gentlemen what you got
1: well being the son of god is a very critical aspect of who jesus was there are a number of things that are appellations that were attached to him as you were reading in acts chapter two he is both lord meaning master christ messiah of the old testament he is the prince of peace Uh, a number of titles were given to christ but the aspect of the son of god was unique in the sense that no one else could hold that title in the sense that jesus did because it got to the very core of his nature and that is his divinity his deity he was announced that he would be the son of god luke chapter 1 and verse 35 this one who will be born will be called the son of god And that was in connection to the Holy Spirit having a part in his conception. And God was his father in a very real sense. Uh, And so being the son of God spoke to his nature in equality to the father and to the Holy Spirit. All three are noted there. And that's what got him in real difficulty with the religious leaders because on occasion he, they understood his language, especially in John 10 and other places where he said, I and my father are one. Uh, he spoke of his father in a very unique sense, different than what we do. We see that in the language after his resurrection to Mary Magdalene, I will send uh, my God and your God, my father and your father. There was a unique relationship there, different from our relationship with God, with the father. And so it spoke to that, and they took up stones to stone him on occasion, because they understood that if he was just a man, he could not speak in that language. He was claiming deity for himself. So, did he ever claim that? Well, at his trial, they said he did. They said, "Yeah, he claimed to be the son of God," and therefore, they believed he was. They were bringing the charge of blasphemy against him. But yes, he claimed it um, in Luke chapter uh 22 and in verse 70 there's passage there let me turn over that luke chapter 22 and verse 70 uh they said and this again is his trial are you the son of god and he said to them you rightly say that i am (laughs) he he didn't deny it he wasn't vague about it uh he he wasn't shifty about it he said you rightly say that i am he claimed it uh and when he asked the disciples in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? <clears throat> there were various answers. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking, I believe for all of them, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, and again, he did not correct them. He did not say, well, you got your your way ahead of yourself here. That's not. No, he accepted that. He uh, And the proof if I don't if someone else don't get to it, Jared may talk about this, but he certainly did give proof of it. John five, he gave four aspects of proof of it, but I'll, I'll let someone else speak to that.
3: Well, what Jared, hit me, uh, what hit me is this was, as I saw this question was that word proof, what proof does he, does he have? What proof does he claim? And uh, just, Acts 1 verse 3 it's even Luke would write and say with many infallible proofs in the King James in other words there's things he did through his signs wonders and miracles that's that's one of the things was proving this by his miracles uh then John chapter 4 gets my attention too just for one section is in John chapter 4 when Jesus goes and sees the woman uh, the woman at the well comes to the well <laughs> He sees her, talks to her. She's amazed that he's even speaking to her. No Jew talks to Samaritan, and and you did. From John chapter four, and we won't read the whole thing, obviously, but if you read the chapter, she goes from saying, uh, you're a man. Then later on, as she speaks to him, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 19 of John chapter four. After he had talked to her about the living water and so forth, I perceive you are a prophet. But then, as you keep on going, she asked him about being, uh, you know, our worship being in this mountain, that's Mount Gerizim, or your mountain, Mount uh, Moriah down in uh, Jerusalem, and so forth. And the more Jesus spoke, then she said, in verse 25, I know Messiah is coming. What he said and the things he taught her, she went from a man to a prophet to Messiah. And then he says, I that speak to thee am he. In other words, you got it. You figured it out. You understand. The proof here was even in his teaching. Matthew chapter 7, 28 and 29. The people were amazed at Jesus' doctrine because he spoke as one having authority, not as the scribes. And so through the proof of his preaching, through the proof of, of, again, this type of personal action here at John chapter 4, you see it. Um, Luke chapter four, Jesus would read in the in the synagogue. Jesus would read from the text of Isaiah and say, "This passage has now been fulfilled in your hearing." So here's more proof, this internal proof, saying Isaiah, what Isaiah said has now been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled right now in front of you, and just over and over, you see these types of things uh, coming out. Jesus offered proof through teaching, through miracles, through all kinds of things in his life.
2: Jared, Mark, great comments, you know, to add to that, as you noted, the miracles. It's interesting in John 10:37, if I mm-hmm. do not do the works of the Father, mm-hmm. Father, don't believe me. And even his enemies were not able to deny the miracles. In fact, in John chapter 7 and verse 31, there's kind of a funny conversation where the, the people in the audience say, Well, if he's not the Messiah then what's the Messiah going to do when he shows up? You know, It's like Jesus has already stole all the thunder. Uh, Jesus, you know, I mean, you raise people from the dead and you calm the sea and you control the weather and you cast out demons and you heal blind people. You're kind of taking all the big ones. Uh, there's nothing much left there. Also, the father's testimony at his baptism, you're right, the teaching, the quality of the teaching, uh, the authoritative nature of the teaching, the prophecies Moses wrote of me, John chapter 5, 46, and also the witness of John the Baptist in John five thirty three, that those things are inherently connected together. And I guess what I would say also to someone who, oh, is not on board and say, I don't believe. Okay, okay. What's your proof he wasn't the son of God? I'd like to see that. I'd, I'd like that you just can't sit out here and say, I'm not going to commit and sit on the sidelines. Jesus, I mean, Jesus of Nazareth is the most central person of human history. I think even if you're not a Christian, you you kind of have to come to terms with something along that line. So, who is he? Chris, any thoughts before we go to our next question?
0: Yeah, you, you've brought that up before. You know, uh, I like the style of asking the question, pr- prove to me he's not. You know, the burden of proof is on you because our proof is laid out before us. And not only that, uh, but we rely upon faith, you know, which is stronger uh, than your, well, luck, as you mentioned in your program this morning, it's, it's stronger than your guests. Um, and it's stronger than man's opinions or man's standards, because man's standards always trip over themselves and they're always changing but Christ has been a consistent uh fulfill uh, he fulfilled the prophecies of old this is why nicodemus came to him in john chapter 3 and and asked him a question that he already knew he had already suspected are you the one are you the one that we're supposed to look for because these were the signs that nicodemus was looking for and i believe in his honest heart he knew what to look for in the messiah when jesus comes along he saw it matching up And like many people do, and I don't fault Nicodemus for it, but like many people do, they want a direct answer. Are you the guy? And of course, Jesus answered that by talking about the kingdom, ironically. We have to remember that most of what Jesus taught wasn't so much centered about himself, but it was about the kingdom. It was about God's plan of salvation to save men, whereas people were focused more upon him, what he could do, even those that benefited from his miracles signs and wonders would come back to where in John and John's fantastic study on the subject uh, came back to him and Jesus pretty much rebuked them saying, "Eh, you're following me because you were fed by bread, but I want to give you the bread of life. And some of the saddest passages I think that we can read in John chapter six is uh, when he started talking like that, um, it said, for many, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And he turned to the 12 and said, do you also want to go away? And then, of course, redemption. You've got the greatest statement that could possibly be made where Peter himself says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which was the entire purpose of the writing of John. When you look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the emphasis is placed upon when you read these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. By reading these things, Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, that you may understand the written word. Don't go beyond the written word, as he says to the Corinthians and first Corinthians, the first couple chapters. And there's so much here that we could really go back to one of our previous studies and looking at the Bible as being confirmed as the word of God. That way we can take it as truth. Uh, You cannot deny the historical accuracy of the Bible. You, You cannot deny that Jesus came along and fulfilled the very promises that God had said through generations in different languages, in different countries, by different time periods and men, how it all came together under the plan of God to bring us his son, Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus saw the evidence that was there. And um, one of the things I appreciate so much uh, about Gamaliel, we never knew whether he became a Christian or not. Um, but here was a guy that had the information. And he said, you know, others have risen up. Go back to Matthew, excuse me, Acts chapter 5, verses 36 and uh, through 39. And he's saying, others have risen up claiming to be something, but they came to nothing. So let's leave these people alone. If they are, if this if this Christ, if this doctrine, if it's true and it's from God, we can't mess with it, but it never went away. Men tried to make it go away. They still try to make it go away today as they deny Jesus, but we have evidence from his birth to his death, and here's the interesting thing. Everybody in this time period that we're reading about in the Bible, they have not yet witnessed his death. I mean, of course... Uh, In the first four Gospels, Nicodemus comes to him and he hasn't even seen the fulfillment of these promises yet, but he will. And I believe his faith will be confirmed even then because this is exactly what God said was going to happen and Jesus fulfilled it to the T. The only wrinkle in all of it is when men try to discredit Christ by human means. In fact, remember this when was Jesus born? He was born during the time of a census in Bethlehem. What I find interesting is that he must have been recorded. (laughs) There's evidence there. And then you have people later saying, oh, well, what good thing could possibly come out of Nazareth? You know, he was born, Mark, you were born in Virginia, but yet you kind of hail from Oregon. We, we, you're kind of an Oregon boy in our mind. That's where you're, that's where you were raised and where you became a man. And, you know, and, and, uh, uh, the same with me, you know, I've lived a lot of places in my life. i I claim New Mexico as a place that I was kind of raised and you know where I grew, but I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeehaw! You know, <laughs> and ironically, I live thirty minutes up the road from it now. But can anything good come out of the places that we we've, we've been in life or whatever? What what are we known for? What's our reputation? But there was factual evidence of Jesus and his life as a child, as a man, and he fulfilled everything. Let me just go ahead and add. One other thing, uh, we've had some good comments being made here, and I wanted to throw these up to recognize them. Uh, Sam Carter puts the book, Too Good to be False, by Tom Gilson. I'm not familiar with that myself, but the Word Publishing, they have put out a lot of good material. Uh, he says, an exceptional help as a Jesus-based apologetic to show why we should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He makes some other comments, too, so you can go over to the, uh, the uh, YouTube channel and see some of the comments that he's making, so thank you for that, Samuel.
2: Well, Chris, what do we got next? What's our next question that uh, we're going to take a look at? In John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet then in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrew writers has... um, the Messiah quoted a passage: "A body thou hast prepared for me." And our question is: Can you think of any good reasons why God would come to this earth and take upon Himself human flesh? Why was that? Why was that necessary? Uh, why is that a, an essential aspect of this plan, gentlemen? What do you
1: have? Well, it has to be because John wrote in First John chapter four and verse three that every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is not of God. He said, in fact, it's the spirit of antichrist being against Christ. Second John seven, he says, such a one is a deceiver. So there has to be some good reasons why Christ came in the flesh. And we still have some today that deny that just like they did back then. You were uh, talking about uh, Hebrews chapter 10, but even earlier in there in the book of Hebrews in chapter two, Where in verse nine, it says we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, meaning on come to our level for the suffering of death. That's the reason he came in the flesh is to be subject to death because there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a uh, sacrifice lovingly given for the case of men. Verse 14, the same chapter. in as much then as the children have been partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. It was necessary for him to die on the cross. And for a physical death to be possible, there had to be a physical body. And therefore he was born of Mary, but still the Son of God, divine deity, but born of Mary, therefore he called himself the Son of Man also, as well as the Son of God, that he might be subject to death, though without sin, He was able to give his life, the just for the unjust. And as you said, Hebrews 10, a body prepared for me. That body became the means of sanctification for us who are sinners. That Through his sacrifice, we might find salvation. Impossible if he did not come into flesh.
2: Mark, good comments. Jared, do you have any comments?
3: Um, Just thinking about uh, what you said in Hebrews about a body that has prepared for me. That was his purpose was to come. I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three and and see that first promise in Genesis three fifteen, and he's going to crush Satan's head. And how that's all going to come about, of course, is, is, is unfolded as you go through the Old Testament. But he has to come and take human flesh. Well, why? Number one, because God sent him to earth. I mean, you want to go pragmatic? Number one, he sent him to earth. So he has to have an earthly form if we're going to see him, and we're going to uh, be able to First John four. I thought you were going this way with uh, First John four, where he says that which our hands have handled and our eyes have seen, and so forth. So he has to be in an earthly form so we can see him and we touch him and and you know and and see the nail prints and and all of these things. Um, And what that what that does is you have God in the flesh. And then that's what makes him, 1 Timothy 2 talks about him having that role of a mediator. Now, mediator, uh, those who are familiar with this in, in, the, in the world and uh, the work, work environment, is the idea that here's somebody who uh, is able to talk to you know, the employees and the management. As somebody who is able to, to be in that role. Well, who is able to be in that role? Well, it's the one who is God, and First Philippians chapter two comes to the flesh, comes and and takes flesh, so that he now uh, can serve in both those roles. Uh, we have not a not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, as Hebrews chapter two talks about in verse fourteen. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why are the reasons for this? So that so that through that temptation and we see some of his temptations uh, in Matthew four. And I'm, I did, I said that on purpose. We see some of the temptations in Matthew four, Luke four, and how did he uh, approach or how did he uh, overcome? He overcame and showed man how to do it uh, because he didn't overcome with uh, performing a miracle or just Satan go away. he, He uh, overcame through the word of God and and shows us how to do that, shows us how to live, not only how to live, but then also how to die. And so here here are some reasons why he has to take on that human form. Uh, He's not going to be able to do those things in another form. He's got to take our form to do it. That's what I think about it.
2: Those are great comments, Jared. Uh, great observations, Mark, from the standpoint that in order to die for our sins, he had to take a form that could die. But great comments like he that qualifies him as the perfect mediator. I think there's a statement in Hebrews that one of the qualifications of the high priest is that the <coughs> high priest had to be able to sympathize with the weaknesses of the people, had to be able to identify with that. I also like the idea that the fact that Jesus had a body of flesh but never sinned, I think it's a pretty good lesson to us that our body is not our main problem, and our body is not the primary reason why we sin. And I think a lot of, even Christians, I think sometimes get mistaken on that, that the real battle is with what you believe. The real battle is what's between your ears. The real battle is your loyalty or uh, who you choose to listen to. Is and who you choose to serve, your will or God's will. The body is more of an a body kind of more of an instrument or a vehicle that will respond either way, but it doesn't make the final decision for us. I, I like the illustration. I think there's some merit in it. That you know, if you had an ant and an anthill out here, and if that ant something was going to come along and wipe out that anthill, what would be the best way to warn the ants? Well, it would to to become an ant <laughs> that would be the best way to warn the ants and that's a uh, uh, not maybe the best illustration, but I think it's kind of like that's the best way to communicate with us is he becomes uh, to us in a body of flesh. It also, you might say in John chapter 14 in Jesus, we see the fullest revelation of the father, he who has seen me has seen the father, the fullest revelation of God in Jesus. Chris, any comments before our third question?
0: Well, there's just a part of me that would love the Lord to come through the clouds and say, obey me, people, you know, <laughs> but he, he did. And he put on flesh to do that. And he walked among us. And there are some that uh, I think erroneously like to use the idea that, well, it was so he could understand us. So he could, well, I, you know, God's going to understand us regardless, but I think it's more so we can relate to him so that we can understand that he does understand us you know we like somebody that's been you know boots on the ground like we are uh we do this in our daily lives maybe with politics or whatever we vote for the person that they've been where we've been you know we we want somebody that can sympathize with where we've been and it's not that people can't um people that are seeking help in life usually want help from people that have been there uh that's why groups like Alcoholics Anonymous are so popular and effective because you can, you know, go to people who have been in the same position you are. And, and that might be a crude example, but it's still an example to show that Jesus was a man like us. We like to focus on his humble origins, his humble beginnings. But going back to what we talked about before, um, you know, Look at his lineage. I mean, going all the way back to the Old Testament, the book of Matthew starts with that. It establishes not only who he was as a man, but his royal lineage. And uh, when we look at things like this, I think just has already been pointed out here. He was an example to us that shows that we can do it. And I can use the excuse, "Well, I'm not Jesus," but yet the Lord tells us to be like him, to be Christ-like in our thinking. Paul the apostle said in First Corinthians chapter eleven and verse one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we do it by looking at the scriptures. How did he walk? How did he talk? How did he treat his fellow man? How did he love the Lord? And how did he fulfill and obey? And that's one of the most important things about these lessons of Christ is that he obeyed the Father even until death. And so he is our example.
2: Yep, I think great point there, Chris. Uh, Repeated, he would say, I did not come to do my own will. Even, even about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come and reveal his own sort of particular uh, opinion or whatever. It was all about doing the will of the father mm-hmm. and, and complete agreement, complete unity and agreement on that. And we need to be like that. Okay. So Chris, we got another question. Oh, the Jared,
0: another comment. Go ahead. Oh, okay.
3: Just real, just real quick. I promise. And I blame Chris for this. Okay. Uh, the, the flesh and, and what it, it hit me whenever you were talking. Anytime that God had uh, preaching done, it was always man to man. That is to say, human to human. And whenever that preaching goes on, it, it wasn't from God's perspective, you know, and what you said about obey me. Well, if you saw that, if we saw that, boom, everyone obeys. God wants us through our free will to come to him in love. And so, what has he done? He sent Jesus, not through the clouds and, and command, right. but as a as a human, so that we listen to the message, and that we will obey or disobey of our free will. Uh, you'll notice when Jesus was on earth, he preached, people listened. So, but whenever it was Paul, Acts chapter nine, and and we'll we'll move on. Acts chapter nine, Jesus said, "Go to the city." Mm-hmm. Why didn't Jesus tell him? And he was right exactly. there telling, no, well, God's plan is man to man so that we listen to the message. I've said
0: this so many times. We are the tools that God uses to carry out his word. I love that example of, of Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus. Go the see. They'll be told what you must do. And that's our duty today. And, and we need to trust in the, the power of God's will. And that's why he's he's committed that trust to us. And, you know, I I love the fact, again, in your example of Christ coming through the clouds, I mean, um, our faith, one day we won't have faith. It'll it'll all just be right there, you know, for us to see, to touch, to feel, and so on. Uh, We have to have a great faith. And uh, that's what God wants to see in us. And I I think about, um, you know, faith from kind of the standpoint that, you know, Well, I'm I'm going to get away from the topic here. I better just let go ahead and Mark, go ahead, steer us back on the right course here. (laughs) So
2: what's uh, next question we got up there, Chris? If Jesus is not the son of God, then what are the options for who he was? Are these viable options? And I think, of course, there might be people out there going like, well, I don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, but there's probably a million things he could have been. And well, wait a minute. I think we live in this culture that somehow feels that there are a million options out there and the reality, or that there are a million different interpretations out there. And the reality is that there are not. That if we just kind of boil it down to say, okay, what really are the options if Jesus is not who he claimed to be? And I think that's important. We're not claiming something about him that he did not claim. He said, I'm the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, John 14, 6. He who has seen me has seen the father, John 14, 9. John 5, 23, I I am, uh, you need to honor me as you honor the father. Uh, Before Abraham was born, I am. And so he is clearly making claims that he is equal with the father. He is the Messiah, the son of God, the only way to the father. If he is not that, then what are the options?
0: Well, I like to jump in here and and just something that comes to mind is the way that people treat Jesus. Even today, they want him to be a miracle worker in their lives. They want him to be a genie in the magic lamp. And when they have trouble in life, they want to rub that magic lamp and have Jesus come out, give them their three wishes, and then they want to stick them right back in. Uh, So they want him to be a miracle worker. And this was the problem that they had, as I quoted earlier from John, is that Jesus says, you've come to me for the bread because you were filled, but I want to give you the bread of life, which is me. And that's when he lost his following. You know, as long as he was doing miracles, everybody's fine with it. But as soon as he thought did the teaching and opened his mouth as the great prophet and teacher, that's when many would not hear. And so even today, what do people want a religion? They, they want a, They want a carnival show. They want something that benefits them. They don't want something that benefits God just thought I'd throw that in there.
2: (laughs) Okay, Chris. So that's great observation. So if he's not the Lord, then I think a number of people say, well, a man that would claim to be the Lord when he's not the Lord would be a liar. That could be an option. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. The problem with him being a liar or a deceiver.
1: Hmm. Well, I think he froze up. Uh...
0: I think you froze up, Mark.
1: Right when he was going to tell it to say that again, you had the I, the key right there. Tell us, <laughs> <If> he, <laughs> we, we have he, to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, you, you know, that's what, the last part of what you said, Mark. We don't know if we, okay. you knew that you froze up.
2: Yeah, one of the things I think the problem to me with the idea he's a deceiver is that he doesn't talk like a deceiver. He, does, uh, he basically he said in th- three days, three days I rise. And, and no deceiver ever puts himself into a box like that. I mean, you'll know whether I'm the Messiah in three days or not. Um, also, he condemns deception. He condemns lying. He's always truthful to people. Not only that, but I think most people are very uncomfortable in putting Jesus of Nazareth in the category of a liar. Uh, I think even unbelievers are going like, Nah, that doesn't even make any sense. But when we if we'd say, Well, well, maybe he was beside himself, crazy, a lunatic, but the problem with that is that he doesn't talk like a lunatic, not only that, but none of the leaders are able to entrap him in any argument, he's able to always out-argue them on all sorts of topics, and that, that's, so that doesn't seem to fit. Gentlemen, you have any observation, other observations along these lines?
1: Well, like the, like when Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am there in Matthew 16, 14, they He's, they, you know the popular idea was he john the baptist maybe come back uh, one of the prophets uh again just like today many will want to lower him down off that off that throne of deity to be in something a little less but wonderful and and exciting he was an I it- liberal scholar say so he's an itinerant sage that went around you know saying good things and opposing the those in authority and and that's a wonderful thing but the problem is the scriptures tie his sonship to who we what we have in him if he's not the son of god he's not the savior hebrews chapter 5 says that he was a son who learned obedience through the things that he suffered that he might become the author of eternal salvation he's not our savior if he's not the son of god and you can't lower him down off of that and think that you can still have that. He's not our king because it was the uh, father said to the son, uh, sit at my right hand. He's not our king if he's not the son of God. He's not our high priest because, again, uh, he, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, he is the high priest who ascended into the heavens uh, as the son of God having suffered temptation as we do. That's the whole point. He was the son of God who endured those things. And he's not the head of the church because again, Hebrews chapter three says that he is a son over his house. So we lose all of that if he's not the son of God. You wanna make him just a happy-go-lucky uh, itinerant teacher who got afoul with the Romans and got killed. That's a That's the idea of the liberal critical scholars and the Jesus seminar and all that. Well, you've just gutted the entire whole plan of salvation. You've gutted the whole revelation of God. You've pretty much gutted any reason for faith.
3: And then, Mark, when you talk in those terms, too, uh, you think, well, um, uh, in that overkill, uh, <laughs> To no, no pun intended, but in that overkill on an itinerant sage. I mean, if, if all he is is just like, you know, some minstrel running around telling yarns, and he's just some guy that just wants to, you know, tell good stuff. Hey, everybody, behave. Everybody, you know, be good to your neighbor, and that kind of thing. Then why do we why are we killing him? Why don't we just say, uh, you know, hey, and run him out of town? You know, that's yeah, the easiest thing to who's do. He, who's Who's a threat to? Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> uh, evidently, somebody thought he was a threat, so that's much worse. Again, go back to the Son of God. That's the thing. They weren't upset with him, and John chapter 10, they weren't upset with him because he did good works. Even that, Jesus said, what good work are you stoning me for? They said, we're not stoning you because you did a good work. They had no issue with him doing a good work. They had no issue with him teaching as such. They had no issue really with the miracles until somebody said, hey, he did a miracle on the Sabbath day. Oh, no, look out. It wasn't the, it wasn't the fact that he did a miracle. Is that you did it at the wrong time to suit us. And it and it wasn't that he said something, it's that you are making us look bad. And so uh, you know, go back to this idea if he's, you know, just an itinerant sage, if he's just running around telling stories, if he's just doing this, it doesn't it doesn't match any reaction that we read about within the scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't go together. And and again, John chapter 10, we don't stone you because you did a good you did a good work? We're stoning you because you claim to be the son of God. See, that's why we don't like what you're saying. And so again, if Jesus is not the son of God, uh, I mean, ultimately there's no option. I mean, it did not make sense in any way because it doesn't make sense with what he did or how people responded unless he's the son of God. Right. First, you want to
2: throw up that next question when, after you're done with your comment there and we'll because we got a next logical question to take a look at yeah
3: it kind
0: of goes right along with what we've been talking about here and um you know one thing that i might comment on regard jesus um you know promises to his disciples uh, in matthew chapter 10 in particular you know he tell what business or or really what false religions today It will starts with this behold i send you out a sheep In the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to counsel, scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake. And it goes on and on and on. Not exactly the greatest selling tool from a human standpoint, but what has Jesus been teaching? This is something I wanted us to understand earlier in looking at John chapter three. Jesus taught about the kingdom and the spiritual blessings that we receive from God. He's always placed emphasis upon the good end result of what we are doing and what we are enduring uh, in this life for God. But yes, on this next question, when you look at the claims that Jesus was a good man, well, does a good man lie about who he is? Um, Does a good man deceive uh, a great teacher? What did he teach? Well, as far as the world was concerned, uh, they thought he was being a blasphemer against the old law, but he was teaching the fulfillment of that law. And yes, he was a great teacher, as was already established in one of the other questions. Um, You know, he taught with great authority. And, uh, you know, some would claim, well, what about about being a great prophet? He must be a great prophet. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, he was. But these are the claims that religions today, because they cannot deny the existence of Jesus, um, you've got certain religions who do not claim that Jesus is the son of God. But because they cannot deny his existence, they say, "Well, he was just a good prophet." Well, a good prophet is not going to lead people astray. Sit back, watch what he does. If he doesn't fulfill those things, then he is a liar, and we shouldn't follow him. So, if he's not the Son of God, he wasn't a good man. He wasn't a great teacher. He wasn't a good prophet. He has to be God.
2: Chris, great thoughts. You know, it's that basic idea that a good man does a good man does not claim to be God when he's not. And Jesus claimed to be God. You will find that repeatedly throughout his teachings. He claimed to be the Messiah. But it's interesting that people really want to settle. Mark, you noted this with the liberal scholars and Jared. People really want to settle on this. Hey, he's this wise sage. He's this traveling preacher. And you're going like, well, why is that okay? Why, 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 why that, and not who he claimed to be? Because you don't have to obey. I'm a but if he's the Son of God, you got to obey the Son of God, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Is I want I, I I'm not going to put Jesus in the liar and lunatic category because no one's going to i have no credibility then. But I'm going to try to fit him into the nice guy but not God category because if I can get him in there, I don't have to change my life. I don't have to submit to him. And I think that's what it really comes down to at the end of the day. Chris, I know we got some, gentlemen, do you have any other comments before we go on to our final question?
1: I just say that that's a religion that has nothing in it. It's baseless, a totally baseless religion. And you were mentioning earlier, Mark, about prove to me that he's not the son of God. Well, they can't, but what they can do is like we mentioned earlier, just gut everything that he said and everything that he did, That Jesus seminar that I mentioned earlier was formed back in the mid 80s. A terrible name had nothing to do with any respect for Jesus. But those liberal scholars got on there and voted about, did he really say this or not? Did he really do that or not? They ended up with 18%. They said only 18% of what he said, he really said. Only 16% of what he did, he really did. At least what the gospels say about it. So what did they do? They can't prove it. They just eliminate it. They just ignore it. And that's what you're saying. And what kind of religion do you end up with after that? Nothing.
2: Yeah. It's interesting, Mark, that got rid of all the convicting things he said, <laughs> you, know, the, the, you know, it kind of comes out weird. Like, yeah, he didn't say that. How much it that you got rid of all the stuff, the real convicting things, the yeah. definitive things that he said?
1: Yeah. How convenient. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's kind of, you know, and, and you weren't even there. That's the other thing that's interesting. Chris, what's that final question we have? Here's okay, so why should I believe and trust him above all other? Why, why should I put all my marbles there? Why why should I be all in there? Um, I mean, I, and some of the people in the audience, or maybe we have some people out there that are not Christians, like, okay, man, Jesus requires me to do a lot. He requires me to get rid of some things. I've read the Bible. He's telling me to get rid of some things that I kind of find enjoyable and et cetera. Why should I, I mean, only get one life. I only get one life here. Why should I trust him and believe and obey him above all the others, including what I might want to do at this moment?
1: Well, I always put it to two pillars, fulfilled prophecy and resurrection. Those are the two things. He fulfilled the prophecies that were made hundreds of years before and hundreds of those prophecies, and he rose from the dead, and the evidence for both of those is undeniable. And and those things being true, we have no other choice but to admit that he is the Son of God, he is God, and that what he said is true, and we must hear it and obey it or suffer the consequences eternally. And upon those two pillars stands the reason for our faith. And that's why I and those on this panel and others have totally committed our lives to that, because I cannot even uh, fathom uh, rejecting that and bearing the consequences that the Lord has said will come if I do. Mark, great point.
2: It's, It's very hard to argue with someone whose life was in print centuries before he shows up okay that that's that's some pretty good evidence behind you and also it's very hard to argue with someone who comes back from the dead I mean yeah I I, th- I think the I think the one whose grave is empty I think the individual who came back from the dead and conquered death that sounds like someone that you should listen to Jared you got some thoughts
3: well, Mark kind of stole my thunder. Uh, <laughs> Gibson over here. <laughs> no. Um, why well, I need should believe and trust him is is because kind of like what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Whenever I think about Jesus, uh, I see that, that he solves man's problems. Really, we have three basic problems in life. We have a sin problem. We have a death problem, and we have a grave problem. And everyone is, is sins, Romans chapter uh, 323 says, and we're headed for death. All of us are. And so there's a grave. Now, is there anything beyond the grave? Again, a lot of people say no. A lot of people say that it's, it's worthless. It's just you live this life and go on, and that's it, and you're dead. But Jesus came into the world. He solved the sin problem. And he died as a sacrifice for us, came to seek and save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. And thus solved the death problem. We don't have a spiritual death and all of that was, was taken care of. But not only this, death itself was conquered in his resurrection. And so then at the grave problem, we're going to come out of the grave. And so what we have is really, and, and I saw this the other day, it's, it's not a matter of men having eternal life or, or or having life beyond the grave. The question is location. And so uh, where are we going to go? Why should I trust him above all others? Because he's the one that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if, so if I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to go through Christ, or I'm not going to go. Uh, no other religious leader and so forth ever uh, had those types of claims. And like I said, every every religious movement you want to talk about, you can go and find the grave of their leader or the grave of their originator, whoever that might have been. But you can't find uh, the grave of Jesus. I mean, there's people that claim that. And, and uh, Terry's over in the land where they'll probably point two or three possibilities for the place for that grave. But you know, every one of them they go to is empty. And yet the grave of those other peoples is full. The grave of Christ is empty. Why should I trust him? Is because of what he's taught, but what he has done, and also what he has offered to us. Because again, I don't know anyone who's going to offer me a better deal. Uh, If I can say it that way, no one's going to offer me a better deal than what Christ has done. And so I can come to him. And I can believe on Him. So that's what we're talking about: believe on Him, repent of my sins, confess that faith. And and here's another thing: Here, the confession of faith is something that has killed men through the years. Uh, that's that's been something. Now, no one no one's going to kill you if you believe in Confucius. No one's going to kill you if you believe in Buddha, or no one's going to kill you if you believe in Joe Smith or or John Wesley anybody else. But I tell you what: if you tell some people. Uh, even today, of your faith in Christ, they're going to kill you. Hmm. Seems to me like there's something different about Jesus than there is about everybody else. I need to believe on him. I need to confess him and be baptized for the remission of my sins. And through that, reenacts, if you will, Romans 6, verses 1 to 6, reenacts the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're we're dead in our sins, buried in the water, of grave of baptism, and rise to walk in newness of life. And by that pattern, we can be saved. And so there's, there's those things for sure. And if we reject him, you know, and Jesus says, there's no more sacrifice for sin. If you believe not that I am he, you'll die in your sin, John 8, 24. And no one else says that, but Christ does. And he has the right to say so. And so that's, that's what we find here.
2: Good thoughts, Jared. You know, I like that passage where Peter says, to whom shall we go? what's the alternative <laughs> what, what what's the alternative and i don't see a very trustworthy alternative out there i don't find anybody else including myself that i'm willing to trust absolutely as we close chris you have any final thoughts for us
0: well it, it's hard to top what's already been said i'm not trying to top it but uh i guess i'll look at some of the practical things in life um You know, every single religion that's out there teaches the premise, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And of course, we attribute that to Christ, who we call it it the golden rule. And um, there's a sense of morality in this world that even sometimes the atheist lives by. But uh, I had an atheist one time tell me, I don't believe in God. You know, they see too much evil in the world. And then she says to me, I just want to do good unto others. And, you know, I didn't throw it back in her face, but I certainly could have said, you know, that's what the Lord taught. And that's why we have the morality that you claim to believe in. And because of God, this worth keeps spinning around. And honestly, without Christians here, this world would be over. It would be done. It would be finished. And you would return to the dust with nothing more to look forward to after this life. And all you had going for you is what you had here. And, of course, as we get older in life, we learn to appreciate that a little bit more. But as was already pointed out, there's no redemption without Jesus Christ. There's no overcoming sin. And when you look at this idea that without the Lord, life has no accountability, we have no one to answer to. Mark, you put it real good. And I, again, want to implore people to go back and listen to your podcast from this morning, The Daily Answer, because in that you discuss some of these very things. And one of the things that I gained from it is the fact that, uh, you know, without God, there's no sin in this world. There's no accountability. Without God, there's no innocent and there's no victim. And you list some very horrible things that happen in our world today. But why do we know they're horrible? Why are they so bad? Why are we so grieved? Because of God. Because of what he has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm just going to say it. True Christians, they're the best. You want them working for you. You want them living next door to you. You want them there by your side, because when it comes down to crunch time, you're going to want God in your life. And you need to grab the first Christian that you see and say, what did you do to change your life? Because I want to change mine. And Jesus is the way to do that. I would probably close with this idea of what Jesus had said. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to ask people what harm would come to you, even if you don't believe. What harm comes to you by living the Bible way? This world has always been a better place by doing it God's way. But, you know, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, when, um, you know, there were those that come to Jesus and wanted to question his authority, you know, highly religiously uh, educated people. And they looked at Jesus and said, by what authority do you do these things? You know what Jesus said? So, okay, I've got one for you. The baptism of John. Was it from God? Or was it from man? And of course, they molded over in their mind. And you know what their answer was? Well, we don't know. Because they weren't basing their answer on truth. They were basing the answer on one, their fear of man and their fear of God. Because they said, well, if we say it's from men, the people are going to revolt because they believe that John's a prophet, which he was. And then they say, but if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to throw that back in our face and say, well, why didn't you believe him? We know it one day. We're going to stand before God in the day of judgment. And maybe in not so many words, that question might be asked, why did you not believe me? He was here. We have gave the evidence of that through the word, through life, through history, through all these things. But let the Bible be your guide. Have faith in God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you're seeking God from any other source than that, you might be led down the wrong path. There's a lot we could say about this, but we've got a long series to go through, and I think we'll cover more of this kind of thinking as time goes on. I want to thank you, Mark, for the good questions for this lesson today. Uh, We've gone a little bit over time. We want to thank everybody for sticking with us for a little bit. Some of y'all had to leave. Go back and check out the program a little bit later to see the end of it. Jared, thank you for being with us and sharing your wisdom with us today. We always look forward to calling on you from time to time. Mark Gibson, good to be with you today. And I hope that we'll see some of y'all tomorrow on the Wednesday uh, live Bible Q&A. So we want to encourage everyone to tune in for that particular program. And, of course, I'll put the information up here so that you know where to go tomorrow at noon Eastern Standard Time for the live Bible Q&A. Submit your questions. Uh, you can do it right now. Questions at answeringreligiousera.com. And uh, we have a good list that people uh, supply each week. And if you'd like to ask your question live as the show is happening, you can comment through facebook.com or youtube.com. Uh, go to the Answering Religious Era page. And so go ahead and hit those bells. Be reminded of those things as the time draws near. Remember, you can go back and listen to this program again a little bit later in a podcast platform. Some of you had to go back to work for this afternoon, and we thank you for listening. So maybe later on you can throw in some headphones and just listen to the end of this program today once it airs on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever favorite podcast platform you listen to. But as I've mentioned several times this morning, uh, the Daily Answer podcast starts as early as 5 a.m. Tune into that Monday through Friday. You'll hear more words of wisdom from Mark Dunnigan as he shares stories from his life, his perspective on things. And, of course, the word of God, as uh, he once again gives us a, a practical down to earth reason as to why we should believe in God and do his will. So we look forward to seeing you next time on this program as we come to you every Tuesday at 12 eastern standard time and as i've said already we thank you so much for tuning into the program today and uh, we look forward to hearing more of your comments and more of your participation if we can do anything for you please reach out to us at questions at and we'll see you next time on answering religious error